0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, friends, and welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and I am sitting in Fort Tony today, and I am also not coming to you from our nation's capital. Today, I am coming to you from the great state of Arkansas, in Little Rock, Arkansas, where today and tomorrow, I will be participating in a Worldview Summit with the Arkansas Family Council. Happy to be doing that. If you are in or near Little Rock, Arkansas, come join us. Come see us tonight. It would be great to see you at the Robinson Event Center in downtown Little Rock, but we've got a great show planned for you today because every day in America is a newsy day. I want to remind you that you can find the program at TonyPerkins.com. This and every episode of Washington Watch, but the news of today—lots of news out of Florida. Disney is losing some favorable tax status protections that they have received, that they have enjoyed since 1967. In addition, the state of Florida says that gender reassignment for young people is not the best way to deal with gender dysphoria, in stark contrast to what we've been hearing out of the White House. We're going to talk about what Florida knows that the White House may not know today. In addition, the FDA has issued a warning about the risks of prenatal screening tests. What are the risks of trying to have a perfect baby? That's one of the conversations we're going to have today. In addition, We'll talk about, there's a lot of talk about the worldview of children these days, why they are not thinking biblically even within the church. Well, a recent study from our colleague George Barna in the Center for Biblical Worldview may have some clues as to why. It turns out only 2% of parents, according to his research, of preteens have a biblical worldview themselves. We may be discovering something. But first our top news item of the day. The Department of Justice announced late yesterday that per the CDC's request, it will it will appeal the federal judge's ruling that struck down the mask mandate for public transportation. Because the masking requirement for travelers has been set to expire May 3rd, it is believed the primary reason for this appeal is to avoid any legal precedent and preserve the CDC's authority for future mandates. And while the White House claims polling shows public opinion is split on the issue, the speed with which airlines and most airline authorities dropped any masking requirements indicates that most travelers are ready to move on. Joining me now to discuss this is Congressman Randy Weber from Texas. He's a member of the House Transportation Committee and the House Committee on Science, Space and Technology. Congressman Weber, welcome to Washington Watch.
1: Thank you, Joseph. We are in my truck driving. It might be a little bit noisy, but we're grateful to be here.
0: Well, we are grateful to have you and grateful for you taking some time from the road. And perhaps the road is the best place to have this conversation about transportation and mask mandates. The Biden administration, after early indications that they would not appeal the decision, has now decided that they will. Are you surprised by this development?
1: What I'm surprised by is they didn't ask the teachers union what they thought the CDC ought to recommend. Turns out that apparently the teachers' union was driving so much of what the CDC said. But no, I'm I'm not surprised. Uh, they're all about less freedom and more government control. That doesn't shock me at all. And I know you saw Biden today when he was asked by a reporter about the mask. He turned to Title 42. So he doesn't have a he doesn't have a clue what's going on with the mask mandate. In my opinion, Joseph.
0: Well, there's no doubt that the story, the narrative coming out of the White House has changed, and it's changed on Title 42, and we'll get to that. And it has changed even in the last 72 hours on this mask mandate since the Florida judge made her decision. And one of the concerns and one of the topics is what is driving the White House's decision to appeal this? Now, yesterday, Gen Saki had this to say about why it would possibly be important to appeal. Let's go ahead and, and play clip two, then I wanna give you a chance to respond. And the Department
2: of Justice, as you noted, has indicated uh, that they would appeal, uh, not just because they think it's entirely reasonable, uh, of course, to have this additional time to look at it, but because they think uh, that the current, uh, for current and future public health crises,
0: uh, we wanna preserve that, that uh, authority for the CDC to have in the future. Congressman Weber, what's your reaction to that?
1: How scary is that? They want to preserve the authority to ride a herd over Americans' free will. How scary is that? Let me add this, too, Joseph. They, talk, they want to get back to the CDC, the scientists, is what, who the president cited earlier, I think, today. They want to get back to the scientists. And, of course, we all know what a joke that was coming from CDC. And it's funny that they refer to the science on the mask mandates but when you start talking about transgender and the, 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 that agenda that they're pushing and a doctor who is a scientist, by, by trade doctor with all those years of medical training, looks at a baby and says, that's a boy or that's a girl. What about that science? They forget about that science. Now they want to tout science and they want to shove masks, you know, uh, almost up the American people's nose, but at least do cover part of their face. It's so hypocritical, it's scary.
0: Well, you make a good point. A lot of us feel like the line between science and opinion is being blurred. And on issues like this, uh, it's easy to see why. If it's not possible, if you're not a biologist to tell the difference between men and women, uh, the questions about the uh, the effectiveness of masks become all the more complex when even the simple is very complex. Now, uh, Congressman Weber States in some cases are insisting that they are going to maintain these mandates. And I want to play clip one. Here's Governor Hockel from New York explaining why, despite whatever the federal government is doing, they want to keep their mandates. Let's just be smart about it. I I think people do feel
3: better when they're in public transit, sitting really close to somebody, uh, to know that people are, are protecting themselves. And again, this is very much in the short term.
0: What's your reaction to that?
1: Well... On one hand, you want to talk about federalism. States have the right to make their own laws. But now you get into interstate commerce clause of the Constitution. If I, People in Texas get this. They don't want us to do it mass, the vast majority of them, especially in my district. They're freedom-loving people. They make their own decisions. They believe in science, God-given science. You mentioned a biblical worldview earlier. That's exactly what we believe in. The problem becomes, Joseph that if you're going to fly from Texas to another state, Washington, D.C., now you're crossing interstate you know, lines, so it's interstate or state lines, so it's interstate commerce. Uh, I think that people ought to vote with their feet, move out of those states where those governors have th- that kind of idea. As Jen Psaki said, they want to preserve authority, basically, to be able to do whatever they want with Americans.
0: That's right. And according to a morning consult political poll, it found that – Two thirds of Americans supported the extension of the mandate, and this poll was taken before the Florida judge's decision. But anecdotally, looking around America's airports now, it looks like the supermajority of Americans were happy to take their masks off. Where do you think the public is on this issue?
1: Well, I think the, it depends on how they phrase, you know this, Justin. Depends on how they phrase the question and who they and who they polled, and you can get any answer you want did they poll the flying public who fly frequently? Did they poll the, they poll the people who believe that the state is the end-all, be-all, cure-all and the state is their God? Who did they poll to get that answer? I, I guarantee you in Texas, especially in District 14, boy, that number is way underwater for us.
0: Well, I want to change the subject on you for a moment, if I can, uh, to Ukraine. Today, the White House announcing an additional Million, $800 million in military resources, another five hundred million in direct economic assistance to the Ukrainian government. Is this the right move?
1: Is it the right move? I'd have to look yeah. at some of what, what they're requiring. I, do they need to come back to Congress? We would love for the president to get Congress's approval on any spending. Obviously, this president is derelict in his duties. He's derelict in a whole bunch of different ways, too, but I won't go there. Uh, he should have been working on stuff around the. When the Russians started amassing at the border, he should have been paying attention and getting assets moved. He should have not shut down the Keystone Pipeline. He should not have made an energy crisis over here. And of course, then what did he do? He turns and blames it on Putin after he has shut down our Keystone Pipeline, which comes into my district 840,000 barrels of oil a day. Remember, the colonial pipeline system last year got shut down by computer hacks. It fed the entire southeastern part of the United States, about 3 million barrels of product today. The Keystone Pipeline carries over one-fourth of the same capacity. He shuts that down. He opens up Russia's Nord Stream 2. Then he begs the Saudis to increase production. This guy has done such a number on us, and now he wants to blame inflation and all this on Putin. He knew Putin was set to invade Ukraine. He waited way too long to act. He's doing ostensibly the same thing, On the island just south of China, our difference in Taiwan. And so, this guy, just as a commander in chief, he gets an F minus minus in my book.
0: Well, Congressman, I know that there are a lot of Americans who feel the same way. And in fact, public opinion generally shows that he's underwater on a range of issues that might be influencing how he's handling the mass situation and the equivocation that he's happening. And now, the last question. I want to get the last issue I'd like to get in with you is at the border. And this is President Biden talking about Title 42 and the border policy. That's clip five. Let's go ahead and play that. What
4: I'm considering is continuing to hear from my uh, my uh, first of all, there's going to be an appeal by the Justice Department, because as a matter of principle, we want to be able to be in a position where if, in fact, it is strongly concluded by the scientists that we need Title 42, that we'd be able to do that. But there has been no decision on extending
1: Title 42.
0: Congressman Weber, can you interpret that for the American people?
1: I, I tell you what, yeah, it's, it's called, it's, you hear, you hear the term PC, politically correct. For him, it's pure confusion. That's his PC mindset, pure confusion. The stuff going on at the border, you know this. Title 42 was from World War II. We ought to be able to turn people away that come from a country where there's a where there's infectious disease, and that's a pandemic that we're experiencing. As you know, our great President Trump did that. He used that. They ought to be extending it. If you read back on Title 42, the law, Joseph, you'll find out that it actually gives the Surgeon General the power to make those decisions with. It, you know, advising the president, if you will, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't think they ever envisioned that we'd have such an inept president when that law was put into effect, 1944, I think. And so this guy's totally out of touch now. I have filed a bill, Justin, that says if the four countries south of us—El Salvador, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Mexico—don't start stemming the tide of people coming north, we shut off all of their foreign aid. That was filed. I don't know. It's my notes are on my phone. I'm talking from. I think ten days ago, give or take. Has an original, right now originally not nine, nine original co-sponsors. So we're starting to push that among our colleagues. Say, look, and Greg Abbott had the right idea. Shut down the truck traffic from Mexico. Make them pay at the border. And those American, I'm sorry, those Mexican governors, those states will pay attention. And now what we, what I'm suggesting we do is we shut down all foreign aid those four countries south of us until they step that time.
0: Well, we look forward to following up on that and seeing if the White House is receptive to that and certainly the rest of Congress as well. It is interesting that while the White House can, seems to insist that COVID is not over, therefore we still need federal mask mandates, it may be they may be suggesting that COVID is over at the border because Title 42 exists to prohibit viruses from coming across the border and they seem to not think that's necessary anymore but we will continue to follow this story congressman weber we appreciate your time today thank you very much
1: thank you joseph appreciate what y'all are doing
0: thank you stay with us when we come back lots of news out of florida today disney's special treatment ending we'll talk about it when we come back
6: to six seven seven four two.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in Fortoni, coming to you from Little Rock, Arkansas today. So glad that you are with us. Lots of news out of the state of Florida today. Yesterday, we told you that the Florida State Senate passed a bill revoking a special tax district that Disney had taken advantage of since 1967. Well, today, the Florida House of Representatives passed the same bill. It now goes to Governor Ron DeSantis' desk for his signature. In other news out of Florida, the Florida Department of Health released new guidance yesterday that opposes transgender drugs and surgeries for children and rejects the recent statements by the Biden administration regarding what they call gender affirming care. Joining me now to discuss all of it is Florida State Senator Dennis Baxley. Senator Baxley, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. We are glad to have you you voted on this bill yesterday. The state house voted on the bill today. There was quite a scene on the House of the Florida State Representatives, uh, House of Representatives today. I want to play clip four and then get you a chance to respond to that. The clerk will unlock the machine and members will proceed to vote on Senate Bill 4C. Have all members voted? Have all members voted? The clerk will lock the machine, announce a vote. Seventy days, 38 days. Show the Speaker. bill passes. Senator Baxley, uh, a lot of energy there in the state house. Was it like that in the Senate as well?
2: No, we we actually had a very calm meeting. There are some intense emotions about how to interpret this map. But in fact, uh, this is the map that the governor chose to be involved in. We had sent him a different map, uh, but he does sign off on that. So he's sort of the final checkpoint, and he's convinced that Some of what we're doing with these uh, specified districts, Uh, majority minority districts is inappropriate. Matter of fact, some of them fall below any majority in the district. Uh, It's down around 41 percent. And so anyway, he is challenging that concept. And we also have a number of people elected in the Senate that. Uh, are African American who ran in districts that aren't enumerated to be minority majority districts, and yet they win. So I, I actually think it's a good measure that assimilation has improved, and that's C- the ultimate. Senator Yes,
0: I I want to be clear because I know we're talking about a lot of districts, and I'm specifically referring to the tax district that Disney uh, was involved with and the scene around Mm -hmm. the repeal of their tax treatment. And there's been some indications that in the past, it's been the left, it's been the Democrats who were concerned about Disney as a corporation getting special treatment from the government. Now they seem to be the ones who are concerned about having that special treatment taken away. Is that true? Is that what's been happening in Florida? Uh,
2: Yes. Well, this confrontation with Disney uh, coming out and saying we should not have passed the bill and they were going to fight to have it repealed uh, put us in a very awkward position with them. And so there was a review of what are the things that we do for them. They have thousands of issues. This is one issue. This bill... Uh, which has to do with just affirming that parents are in charge and they have a say in what they're exposed to at school and that uh, we would not teach uh, these kinds of issues in kindergarten through third grade. And after that, it would be what is age appropriate by uh, state standards. So this was the reaction uh, a little bit late. I never had, I sponsored this bill I never had anybody call me from Disney until after it was all over. And uh, then it was trying to kind of patch the gate because they knew they have a very unique uh, situation with their community districts. And the way that worked out was uh, uh, that they were trying to attract Disney to Florida back in the 60s, 67. Uh, this thing is wide open. They answered to no local government. They have their own kingdom. Uh, they do their own permitting. They do their own planning. There's no one outside. They do law enforcement. They do uh, all these things under this broad district. Uh, also, uh, emergency care. And uh, they do some gun control, too, because uh, I know I have a son that's been in there as a, as a police officer with a concealed weapon, and they pulled him out and talked to him for a while, and then they followed everywhere he went in the park.
0: So Senator Baxter, it's a, it's an isolated world. Yeah. And in, in this issue, this, this apparent conflict between Disney and the state of Florida is receiving a lot of attention. Is this a case of the Florida legislature simply updating some code that needed to be updated in light of the world that we live in now, as opposed to 1967? Or is this intended to influence how Disney behaves politically in the future?
2: I think it's more about shedding light that we had a very special arrangement with them. Uh, They support the majority party members, and we usually try to accommodate their need. They're a huge employer for us. But all this exposure, their brand is in serious decay. Uh, Used to anything Disney was wholesome family stuff. And so uh, there was not a lot, the same questionings. Uh, But then we started looking back at what are our agreements and what kind of authorities do we have with them? And we discover we're in this posture that hasn't been reviewed in 50 years. So it's going to be a, Difficult exercise for them, I think, to come out of this unscathed. Quite frankly, I think they did some poor calculating that if they uh, attack the governor and the legislature in the position they took, uh, plus they didn't come up during discussion. They they came up after the fact. And uh, so they're caught in this gap between uh, their um, gay staff and their cartooning and stuff like that. Then you started looking at the content. Used to, you had full confidence. If it was Disney, then it was wholesome. And uh, now they've embraced the woke uh, outlook and uh, they're promoting this uh, intervention, do you really trust Senator, them even for the kids,
0: Senator? Baxley, I had I had wanted to get into the next topic because the state of Florida has issued guidance around how to deal with children who have gender dysphoria in direct conflict with what the White House has told us. Unfortunately, we are out of time, so we're going to have to do that again, uh, Senator Baxley. Thank yeah. you so much for your time today. Great, you one. bet. And we will continue that conversation, but when we come back. The FDA warns of risks associated with a non-invasive prenatal screening test. Parents increasingly trying to have perfect babies, but is there a downside? We'll talk about it when we come back. Here on. What
7: is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
0: Hello friends and welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, coming to you today from Little Rock, Arkansas. Grateful for your time and attention and we hope to serve you well. Earlier this week, the FDA issued a warning about the risks for false results and inappropriate interpretations from non-invasive prenatal screening tests. Now, according to the agency, these tests can lead to improper medical decisions as the FDA has received reports that patients have had abortions based on results from these tests without understanding their limitations. And Joining us now to discuss this is Mary Zock, the Director of the Center for Human Dignity at Family Research Council. Mary, good to see you today.
3: Thanks so much for having me again, Joseph.
0: Tell us a bit more about these tests and where this announcement came from.
3: Well, a few months ago, the New York Times published an expose on these genetic tests and they revealed that about 85% of the time, the genetic testing that is so frequently offered and pushed on women who who are um, at at their OB appointment, um, that genetic testing is actually inaccurate about 85% of the time, and this was really shocking to people because they've they've been told by these genetic testing companies, you know, these are this is highly accurate information. This is this will give you peace of mind. Well, what these tests do is they they, they cause a lot of worry, um, but they have also led to a number of abortions. Of course, every single abortion is, is a tragedy. Um, and in, in these cases, uh, people who perhaps otherwise would not have considered abortion have done so because of the eugenicist mentality that has been pushed on them by the pro-abortion industry.
0: And that really is the word you just used there, a strong eugenicist. And the idea of eugenics is a tragic one, but really the motive behind these tests in many cases is simply, does my baby have a problem? And the implied question is, if my baby has a problem, then maybe we don't want the baby. And that, of course, is exactly what eugenics is. Mary, how common are these tests?
3: They're very common. You know, I, I am fortunate in that. For my OB appointments, I went to a pro-life doctor who who spoke about the false positive rate of these tests, but just about every woman who's going to an OB appointment receives information on these tests. Um, I've had numerous friends talk about how highly recommended the tests are. They're seen as standard procedure. This is what, what you get when you go to your OB appointment. Um, and even if you look at the FDA's uh, FDA's report on this, they said, you know, that that the lack of knowledge about the false positive rate of these tests has led to led led to people making inappropriate healthcare decisions. Well, what they're talking about is a decision to to kill someone's child, um, and and. You know, under the guise of this, uh, se- formulating this to be an inappropriate healthcare decision is really um, just just trying to to steer away from what's actually happening here.
0: Now, my understanding of these tests is that they are intended to be screening devices and not necessarily diagnosis tools. And one of the challenges is that they're being treated as a diagnosis rather than a screening device. For parents who may get a positive test about something that concerns them or alarms them, is there a follow-up that can be done to find out if, in fact, there's actually something to be concerned about?
3: Well, there are follow-up tests that can be done. The The thing with these tests is they're not as invasive as... as other testing that has been done in the past that is more definitive. Um, but, you know, in the FDA's report, one of the things they say is it, these tests screen for, for rare conditions like DeGeorge syndrome. And if, if a child has that, that can lead to, you know, heart defects, it can lead to learning disabilities, difficulty feeding. Well, the FDA is essentially saying your child's future includes suffering. And what they don't say is that is true of every single <laughs> child's future. We live in a fallen world. That's that's suffering is part of all of our lives. What they leave out though, is that if your child does have one of these rare genetic disorders, if your child has physical or intellectual disabilities, there will also be moments of joy and there will be great love. And, and I can say that as a sibling of, of a woman, a beautiful, wonderful woman who has both physical and intellectual disabilities. No genetic tests could tell the beauty and the joy and the love that she's brought to my family.
0: Now, Mary, uh, it seems here, this could be a light coming out of a dark place because even the fact that we're raising the issue here saying, well, we could make a mistake and abort a healthy baby implies that aborting a healthy baby is a problem in some ways. And, of course, we make the argument that aborting every baby is a problem. But is this an accidentally pro-life statement coming out of the Biden administration?
3: Well, I think, as you said, Joseph, aborting every child is, is a tragedy. The fact that they have more concern for the abortion of a healthy child than they do... For the abortion of a child who who may have a genetic disorder, um, shows the the eugenicist mentality that has right. permeated our society. But at the same time, if it leads to more parents questioning these genetic tests, if it leads to more parents taking the chance that 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 the test could right. be wrong, if it leads to fewer abortions, it is a good thing. And the FDA acknowledging.
0: Has- Acknowledging that abortion can be bad is the start, I think. And Mary, sadly, we are out of time, so I've got to let you go. But thank you so much for being with us.
3: Thanks for having me, Joseph.
0: Stay with us. When we come back, is the reason that children don't have a biblical worldview because their parents?
8: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications.
9: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm sitting in. Episode of Washington Watch at TonyPerkins.com. We are going to get into the conversation. they ho- okay do we are we okay okay
4: claim it to be. And when asked about this uh, last month, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki gave this non-answer
2: answer. In terms of his views and comments from 25 years ago, I think the most important question now is why are Florida leaders deciding they need to discriminate against kids who are members of the LGBTQI community? So
4: what does the White House want us to forget about? Joining me now to discuss this and what it tells us, not only about Joe Biden, but about how far Democrats have shifted on issues like this, this is Rachel Bovard, senior columnist at the Federalist and the Senior Director of Policy at the Conservative Partner in- Partnership Institute. She has served in various roles in both the House and the Senate on Capitol Hill. Rachel, welcome to Washington Watch.
10: Thanks so much for having me.
4: Now, you've written a piece about this, uh, I guess it was earlier this month or late last month, in the Federalist. Uh, Tell us about then Senator Joe Biden's don't say gay moment and compare (laughs) that to where he's at today.
10: It really is a remarkable transformation. So the piece that I wrote touches on a debate in the Senate that took place in 1994 surrounding the reauthorization of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which people will may recall is the bill that still to this day funds a lot of the federal government's education activities. And as part of that debate an amendment was offered by Senator Bob Smith, uh, a Republican from New Hampshire at the time, which was far more explicit about what you could and couldn't say uh, about homosexuality in the classroom. And I'm quoting here, the amendment said it would prohibit schools from receiving any funds for, quote, encouraging or supporting homosexuality as a positive lifestyle alternative end quote so that is literally a don't say gay bill uh, or an amendment that was offered here and what's really remarkable too and i tried to parse this a little bit in the piece is that the debate that was held on the senate floor you know, roughly 30 years ago, is so reflective of the debate we're having today. Bob Smith brought with him materials that were being passed out in schools, materials that were in school libraries, and he said, I can't quote from these because they're too obscene. Uh, You know, bring senators to come look at them, but this is what's being instructed in your child's classroom. Very similar to the debate we're having today. However, the difference was that then Democrats agreed Uh, with the premise of the amendment, and you saw Senator Joe Biden go down and cast a vote in favor of this Smith-Helms amendment, which said, yeah, no instruction can take place here, Uh, discussing homosexuality as a positive lifestyle alternative. For the Joe Biden of 1994, that was completely fine. Contrast that to today, where a much, much uh, broader sort of Uh, gentler law from the state of Florida, which just says, hey, don't discuss gender identity with children in kindergarten through third grade uh, and also inform their parents, uh, you know, if they're discussing gender transition. That is hateful when 30 years ago, a much, much more punitive form of that amendment was completely fine.
4: But this is not the only area, Rachel, that we see this. um, I, I, I I don't know if I want to say hypocrisy, I'll be kind, contrast. I mean, how many times did Joe Biden vote for the Hyde Amendment and not forcing Americans to fund abortion? Now his administration wants to codify this into law, Roe v. Wade, and force all Americans to pay for it.
10: I use the word transformation. You know, we can say hypocrisy, although I think for you know career politicians like Joe Biden— they're they're not shamed by the charge of hypocrisy. But it, it, Joe Biden has really undergone a transformation when it comes to cultural issues. This is someone who, as you point out, for his entire career supported the you know, federal funding prohibition on abortion and in the span of you know, six months on the campaign trail, reversed himself on a key question, has pushed against religious liberty, has pushed against, you know, as we've seen in favor of this transgender ideology sweeping the country. So this is someone who you could have considered at some point moderate or even conservative on a lot of these social and cultural concerns, who has swung completely to the left, been captured by this progressive wing of the Democratic Party on these cultural questions, and now actively seeks to overturn a lot of what I think many Americans thought was consensus around these issues.
4: Yeah, I think it's your piece is very enlightening. And folks, uh, you, there's a link at the website, TonyPerkins.com. Um, I mean, we knew a lot of this stuff, that Biden was more moderate. He ran as a moderate. He was billed as the moderate. But he's done anything but govern as a moderate. I mean, he's been – but but even when he was vice president, he was really to the left of, uh, of Barack Obama. In many ways, He he forced the Obama administration's hand on same-sex marriage. He came out before – President Obama did on, on pushing that. But there is this underlying um, uh, stream, if you will, that I think is, is really it's the, the Democratic Party that has shifted uh, so mm-hmm. prominently on these issues. Has the I mean, well, What is behind that? Has, has the left taken over the Democratic Party and these politicians just wanting to hold on to their careers or riding the party?
10: you know it's an interesting question and i think it is it, it has very much to do with this with the takeover element that you just referenced because i think on a lot of these you know very you know divisive cultural issues, there is sort of a consensus in America that even most moderate Democrats fall into, right? We may not agree on the granularity of, you know, specific abortion policy, but most parents across the country want a say in their child's education. That doesn't seem to be a controversial view, except here in Washington, where it seems like this very, very loud minority within the Democratic Party. So I'm talking about not that big of a faction, but a very loud and a very aggressive faction has taken over the Democratic Party in Washington and is forcing these like transformative social views on a party where I would wagered not a lot of their base actually supports. And I think this is going to be an interesting test question for the midterm elections. You know, how many people respond to the Democrats' culture war (laughs) from their own base? And I suspect that a lot of parents in the Democratic Party are scratching their heads saying, you know, we can debate some of these, you know, you know, hot topics, but the fact that you want to bar me from knowing on knowing what's going on in my child's school—that's probably a bridge too far for most. So, I do think it is this like nexus of of a minority within the party that is just incredibly loud, and they have cowed a lot of the Democratic politicians into submission.
0: Get your patience and bearing with us, and now we are going to do something to further complicate this, and we are going to go to another remote location because. The director of the Center for Biblical Worldview, David Claussen, is, is coming to us live, coming from to live from the Louisville, Kentucky, and Lourke. Lourke. The, Lourke. the Together for the Gospel the Lourke, Conference. The gospel. I'm getting tremendous feedback, if you can hear that. Okay, can you guys hear me now? Okay, David, do we have you? Okay, I cannot hear David, but I'm going to assume other people can hear us, and I'm going to ask you a question, and hopefully we're going to get the audio back by the time you start talking. <laughs> David, why don't you tell us what you are doing in Louisville, Kentucky today, and what's happening Together for the Gospel?
11: Yeah, that's right, Joseph. So FRC's uh, Center for Biblical Worldview is here in Louisville, Kentucky, for Together for the Gospel. Uh, This is a conference uh, that Al Bowler, Mark Dever, C.J. Mahaney, and Lig Duncan started in 2006. And every uh, other year, pastors from around the country and around the world come here uh, to Louisville, Kentucky, for uh, just two or three days of preaching and worship and encouragement. And and it's just been a tremendous opportunity to sit under uh, really good preaching uh, from guys like uh, John Piper and uh, uh, Mark Dever and Kevin DeYoung and others, and uh, we're one of the exhibitors, and that's given me an opportunity to speak to uh, a couple hundred pastors, actually, Joseph, since I got here on Monday, and it's just been really helpful and encouraging, helpful uh, to hear what pastors around the country are dealing with, and encouraging to see that uh, some of the resources that we're putting out are indeed helping pastors navigate some difficult issues, so it's just been a very encouraging time here in
0: Louisville. David, to that point, when thousands of pastors get together in Louisville, what are they concerned about? What's your sense of the issues that the church collectively across the country are wrestling through?
11: I'd say significantly, Joseph, uh, a theme through the messages uh, that the, the speakers uh, gave was reminding pastors that their job as the under shepherds of Christ's church uh, is the gospel, uh, first and foremost, expositional preaching. But as far as specific topics, Joseph, I think uh, just all the resources I brought, it was interesting to see what we ran out of first. Uh, At the FRC table, we had a lot of things that I've written and some of our other colleagues have written. Uh, The things, uh, the the resources dealing with sexuality, uh, how to uh, deal with the LGBT issues, transgenderism, and issues that we had on education. Uh, I've been to a lot of conferences around the country, Joseph. Usually the education stuff is not the first off the table, uh, but by the end of the first day, anything we had uh, on education and how to navigate those challenges, as well as the sexuality issues, uh, that those were immediately uh, taken up by the pastors who came by our booth and just anecdotally hearing stories from these pastors, those are the issues that they were looking for help on. Uh, So it was a joy to be able to have conversations uh, that can hopefully lead to fruit in the ministries. Uh, that these pastors represent, again, across the country and world.
0: That's exactly right. We do want to be part of the solution, and I think the fact that they're taking the material about the sexual revolution as well as about education shows me that they're trying to understand the problem and be part of the solution. And David, that brings me to the topic for our segment here today, because our colleague in the Center for Biblical Worldview, George Barna, has done a survey recently that has perhaps uh, pointed out, identified the root of the problem when it comes to worldview of young people. And we've talked many times about how concerning it is, the way that they're processing information is not necessarily from a biblical perspective. What did George Barnes' survey find?
11: Yeah, the top line, Joseph, was that only 2% of parents who have children under the age of 13 have a biblical worldview. Again, that's only 2%. Uh, And what that tells us, Joseph, is we know that parents cannot pass on to their children what they do not have. Uh, Parents are the disciple makers, they're the gatekeepers of worldviews and knowledge. And uh, that is the top line takeaway from George's survey, that only 2% of parents with children under the age of 13 actually themselves have a biblical worldview, which means they're thinking about uh, lifestyles and relationships and major issues through the lens of Scripture. Do these results surprise you? Not necessarily, Joseph. Um, We know from previous studies that our colleague George has done that it's a small slice of Americans that have a biblical worldview. Only uh, about 21% of those in evangelical churches have a biblical worldview. But I think that number 2% is somewhat surprising that it's that
0: low. David? Across the country? 2% of church-going parents, put that number into perspective for us.
11: You cut out a little bit, Joseph, but as far as I think what I heard you say is, yeah, I think it was 2% of parents with children under the age of 13 uh, just across the board. Uh, But other surveys we've done as far as identifying those who attend church, it's about 21% of uh, Christians uh, in evangelical churches that have a thoroughly Mm -hmm.
0: biblical worldview so this is a challenge regardless david give us some hope here what's the solution there's probably a lot of parents who may be listening and watching today who might feel a a twinge of guilt like yeah maybe i don't know enough to pass this on to my children how should parents be responding to this situation
11: yeah there's always hope joseph and i think as christian parents Uh, This is a challenge for us to get back into God's word, uh, to know what his word says, to know what the Bible teaches and all the issues. There's so many issues that are confusing in our culture, but God's word addresses a lot of these. Uh, So if I was a a father and a mother of a a kid under the age of 13, uh, this is a wake up call to to dive into God's word, to get plugged into my local gospel preaching, uh, Christ exalting church. Uh, and surrounding myself with others who can help me form and disciple my children. Uh, We can't do it all, Joseph, uh, but we can surround ourselves with good preaching, good pastors, uh, good community uh, to help us do this work, to pass on God's
0: truth to the next generation. David, in about 30 seconds, give us a couple resources, places parents can go to improve their worldview so they can pass it on to their kids.
11: Yeah, we have a host of resources, Joseph, at frc.org
0: slash worldview, uh,
11: booklets that address these issues. I'd encourage folks to sign up for our our newsletter, frc.org slash worldview email. Uh, We'll have more information about video programs, curriculum, and other resources that we're working on right now uh, to help serve you, uh, serve your children and those uh, in your uh, circles of influence. David
0: Clausen from Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Joseph. And friends, that is the issue. Parents have to know what they know is true so they can pass it on to their kids. If you you can't teach what you don't know, so it's time to know. Friends, thanks for being with us today. We look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, fear God and nothing else.
1: Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought
0: to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action.